<clears throat> privilege it is to be with you guys today. Uh, we were over at the Radius International uh, Conference uh, in, uh, where was it? It's up, anyway, it's up here in <laughs> Minneapolis somewhere. I don't know this part of the world. Uh, my wife's from uh, this part of the world. She's from uh, St. John's, Michigan. I'm from San Diego, California. Uh, how many guys were here last week and saw the little video? Okay, that's helpful, so I don't have to go into that too much. Uh, yeah, we did a very similar thing to Steve and <clears throat> Mary. Uh, we heard about these guys, never met them till uh, 2001, I think, or something like that. And uh, they were a legend in Indonesia, and we were just doing our thing buried in the jungle, and we had uh, dear friends that were very much in common. Uh, yeah, the, the time there, uh, 20 years went by pretty quickly, uh, to be honest with you. If we could have gotten it done in 19 years or 18 or 15, uh, we would have definitely done that because living in the jungle just sucks. There's nothing fun about it. Uh, you, you learn to love the people, but the environment is brutal. Uh, where we were, uh, it was about 100 to 120 degrees every single day of the year. And uh, 300 inches of rain a year ensured that your skin stayed nice and moist uh, with a lot of, uh, most days, uh, over 100% humidity. And uh, it, it just wears you down. Thankfully, we were young and healthy. Not, I know you guys are thinking of the guy in the video. <clears throat> Steve is already ripping me up over that. They're not even going to recognize you. Okay? I'm bald. I have 12 hairs. I know them all by name. Uh, I'm twice the size as I was. The jungle is a great weight loss program, too. <clears throat> um, before I get into God's word, I just want to explain, you know, why does a person do that? And I, I'm anxious to have lunch with Stephen here because I want to know why they did it. I don't know their story that well. Uh, but uh, if you're a normally uh, socialized person out there, you're thinking like, why? Why does a person leave, well, for myself, in Southern California, and uh, <clears throat> why do you end up spending that much time out there? What the heck? Uh, honestly, um, my dad was in the Navy, so I was you know, born in San Francisco. He was working up there, and we got transferred down to San Diego, uh, living in Navy housing. Navy housing sucks, okay? It's just really thin walls. Thankfully, if you're in San Diego, it doesn't matter so much because it's not that cold ever. And, uh, but it was really cool because we lived about two and a half miles from the ocean, and uh, so I could keep my board stored at the ocean and just uh, hitchhike down to the beach every day and surf my brains out, and that's what life was, junior high, high school. Uh, they had the football team, they had the wrestling team, and we also had a surf team. And, uh, and so if you made it on the surf team, life was awesome. Okay, my mom's doing her church thing. I had to go to church when we lived in San Francisco. Moved to San Diego. I was a grown man because I was a junior high. And so dad didn't make me go. <laughs> and uh, so I made it. Uh, we had about Oh, gosh, 3,000 people in our high school, and they had two sophomores, two juniors, two seniors uh, that they selected to represent the school. I was one of the two sophomores, which means you're, you're a sophomore. You're going to be awesome. You got good buddies, great girls, great parties, uh, Christianity, what's that? And uh, enjoying life. Uh, made it again as a junior in high school, and uh, life is just awesome. I've got my hot girlfriend. i got a killer job at Kentucky Fried Chicken. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm going to go pro as a surfer. You know, it doesn't get any better than that. And from our high school football field, uh, you could see the ocean. And if the waves were big, uh, you didn't do any drugs on the way to the beach because you, uh, you want your brain working good. If the waves were small, uh, we'd do doobies on the way to the beach, and that made small waves seem more exciting, which it was. <laughs> and uh, so uh, we're driving to the, the beach one day, and uh, I light up. I'm driving and lighting, and I hand it to my best friend, Adrian. And Adrian, at that point, tells me, uh, Brad, I don't, I don't do that anymore. I became a Christian. I was speechless. What the heck? I knew everything, because I'd gone to Sunday school as a kid. I knew we were going to burn in hell for everything that we did. Okay? He had no idea what he was turning from and what he had to turn into. And uh, I watched his life. I watched his life, and he invited me out to this uh, church. I hadn't been to church in years. And uh, it was weird, but he's my best friend. I'm watching his life change. And so we roll in on a Wednesday night to this church, and uh, 
normal looking church, except I didn't know anything about this. Uh, this uh, he keeps talking about this guy, this guy, you gotta come here, this guy, this guy. And so we roll in, man, the church parking lot is packed. And uh, that night there happened to be about seven, 750 high school guys coming to listen to this guy. The youth group was between 500 and 1,000, okay? The church was about 400 people. Uh, but this guy was anointed. And uh, I didn't know any of this. I just, wow, oh, this is weird. I recognize that guy from my school, that guy from the water. You know, I'm recognizing people. So I didn't want to be outed that I was at a church. So it was kind of awkward. But okay, just walk in, be cocky. And uh, walk in, sit down. This is 70, so we sat in the back of the, ch- uh, in the carpet. And uh, you know, they do the praise band thing. Two guys, two girls. Those have been around since the Garden of Eden. I swear, Adam and Eve are in a praise band. That is not new, okay? And uh, finally, they sit down. And I'm sitting in the very back. And I'm waiting. I'm nervous. And I'm waiting for this guy because the way Adrian's been talking about this guy, he's got to be like a combination of Thor and Adonis and Zeus all rolled into one. And uh, so I'm waiting for the man to show up. And I see this tall, skinny guy. He's like super old, too. He's got to be 40 years old. And he starts walking up toward the front. And I'm thinking, that's got to be the church janitor. Got to be the janitor. He's going to get things ready, you know, for the man before the man comes up. Adrian leans into me. He says, that's the guy. What are you going to do? We've all been there. It's like the timeshare sales thing. You're not going to get up and walk out. It's too embarrassing. You already had the lunch. You know? And so I, I'm not going to get up and walk out. <clears throat> and so this guy, he opens up his Bibles. And I'm thinking as he walks up there, dude, you better have a great game. You better be able to connect. You better have some great one-liners. You better be able to work it. Okay? And uh, he has none of that. The old guy opens up his Bible. He starts reading a couple of passages. And he's throwing down hard. Flipping the page, reading another couple more verses, thrown down hard. Then five minutes, he's going full steam. He's talking about sin and heaven and hell and righteousness and judgment and what it's going to be like to stand before a holy God when he sentences you to burn forever for your sin. Dude, I hate you. I break guys like you in my school. Okay, he's a pencil neck, okay? Not an athlete. And uh, <clears throat> I'm furious after five minutes. He keeps going down that road for about 10 more minutes, about 15 minutes. He turns from the generic sin, burn, destruction, hell, damnation. Nothing about become a worshiper of Jesus. (laughs) That wasn't even in the vocabulary. He turns from the generic into the sins of young men because this guy happened to draw a lot of young men. I'd say 70 to 80% of that youth group was young men. And he starts going after the things that, man, I was directly involved with. And uh, now I'm I'm shooting him death daggers. Now I want him to know how much I hate him. I'm in the very back, so he can't even see me. I'm a mosquito, you know, in an arena. So he he doesn't notice, but it made me feel good just to let him know how much I hated him. And I knew there were other guys that were giving him the same death daggers. And he, he did not care. He just kept rolling and bringing it on and on and on. About 25 minutes into this thing, uh, this uh, understanding kind of hit me like, the guy doesn't care, I hate him. And he's bold as a heart attack. And uh, this is kind of cool. Most teachers in school want me to be their friend, you know, like I need a 40-year-old buddy. Uh, you, you be you, I'll be me, I'll come back and I'll listen to you. Don't try to put your hand on my shoulder and take me out for coffee. Just keep your distance, dude. And I did, I came back for over six months listening to this guy. And, uh, and it turns out he, uh, he only get, shared the gospel once or twice a month. Most of the time he's talking to Christians, so, so that's what he did. And I just tuned him out. Uh, but when he shared the gospel, I'll, I'll boil it down for you. What, when he shared the gospel, every single time it went like this. What Christ did on that cross, there's nothing you, to, you can do to add to it. His blood pays for your sin. It's a done deal. You can't work for it. You can't earn it. You can't merit it. All you can do is fall on your knees and say, thank you, God, and accept that as a gift that it is. But you do need to understand that once you accept that gift, your life is over. You have no future. You have no rights. 
From that moment on, it's all about him. He was crystal clear on that. Dude, I had a great life going on. Man, at the end of my junior year, I got elected captain of the school surf team, got the killer job, got the red VW bug, got my reputation, got my posse of buddies. Life is awesome for me. And I have no idea what God's going to do with it. And I kept coming and listening and listening, but man, the Holy Spirit was at work in my life. Finally, at the beginning of my senior year, I just gave up. Man, I don't want to burn in hell. I know hell's real. Man, he made it come alive. He painted it clearly, accepted Christ as my Savior. Uh, I didn't know what it mean. I didn't stand up and shout and cry. I'm not wired like that. But I knew it was forgiven. And I began to listen to this guy with a different set of ears. And the things that I had been tuning out, I began to listen to. And it was God's heart for the nations, the nations, the nations. In his mind, I would find out later that he saw that youth group as a launching pad, as an aircraft carrier. I'm going to bring these guys in, I'm going to fuel them up, and I'm going to send them out. And that's exactly what he did. We began to hear about Matthew 28. We're, get, we're going to get there. I know, <laughs> Steve, in your past, you probably hear that every other week. So I, I'm not in new territory. I don't have new writers down here spitting out new scripture for you. Okay, We're stuck with the same ones until we complete the Great Commission. But I'm listening to this guy, uh, stuff I'd never heard before, Matthew 28, Mark 16, Luke 24, John 20, Acts 1. I'm hearing this stuff, and, and he's bringing missionary speakers in. And he never allowed those speakers to talk about short-term missions. We didn't even know it existed. He never allowed them to bring short-term missions material. Didn't know it. His name was Vaughn, Erhard George von Trachla. And Vaughn, this whole time, I didn't know anything about this guy. I just know that he spoke with an authority that you don't get in seminary. He never went to college a day in his life. He never went to seminary. He lived in a, he had the biggest youth group in Southern California and he lived in a trailer with an extension cord plugged into the church. He had authority. He was living it. I didn't know anything. But I'll tell you what, this guy came from South America, couldn't tell you where, and he had applications for career missionary service. I took one of those things home. All my buddies were up there talking to the guy. I just quietly went over there. I didn't want anybody to see that I took one. I took it home, and I, I couldn't remember sitting on the side of my bed, and I gotta be careful here. Uh, sitting on the side of my bed, beads of sweat breaking out on my forehead. Dude, they're talking about my whole life here. Actuarial tables, what missionaries die of, how long they last. This is not like color-coded, really beautiful, no, no, just a bunch of old guys in this thing. Like, man, I'm 17 years old. There goes my life. I, I put the application down, and uh, I had a plane ticket to go to Hawaii, go surfing for a few weeks. School was not a high priority to me. And, uh, <clears throat> and if you're serious about surfing, you've got to go to Hawaii. You've got to surf the North Shore where big waves are, and it's kind of like a Muslim going to Mecca. you, you, you just got to do it. And so I went off, you know, blew off school for a few weeks, went to Hawaii, came back. I was hoping my mother had thrown that application away. It was still sitting there on my desk. And I wanted to throw it away. I really did. Uh, but it's kind of like when you wake up in the morning and you read your Bible and there's this really convicting passage. What do we do? We take that page and we tear it out of our Bible and we throw it in the trash can. No, we don't because we know God will strike us dead if we do that. <laughs> and I knew that God would strike me dead if I threw that application away. This guy's been assigned to disciple me. His name is Bob. And Bob is on me like, gosh, what can I say? Every time I turn around, hey, have you filled it out? Have you filled it out? Have you filled it out? No, Bob, no, Bob. No. Finally, I told Bob, I don't understand the questions. <laughs> That's a total lie. But the, no problem. I'll come over tonight and help you fill it out. <laughs> and he did. The walls are coming in. I don't want to do this. Yeah. Uh, Bob's, have you sent it in? Have you sent it in? Uh, Bob, I don't have the application fee. Bob's in his mid-twenties. He's got a real job. He goes out to the car. He has a checkbook. He writes out the fee. It was like $10 or something like that. <clears throat> so I've got the application filled out. I've got the fee. And uh, Bob's like, have you done it? Have you done it? Have you done it? Have you done it? 
Bob, uh, not yet, not yet, not yet, not yet. And uh, so I looked at the application. And uh, at the end of the app, any serious application, there's always this question, uh, anything else we need to know about you? Well, I put down the standard NA, pretty boring guy. I scratched that out, sat down that night, hand wrote out two and a half pages of my sins, my baggage, my issues. I had two warrants, okay? And uh, sent it all in. Shark repellent, it's called. No way, Jose, I'll never hear from these guys. This is awesome. Yeah, three weeks later, I got a leather back. You're accepted, here's where it starts, here's when it starts. <laughs> Apparently, I had you know, 98.6 blood in my veins, and they could tell. And so, man, now I'm, uh, I'm on this train going down these tracks that I don't want to do. And I'm finding out a lot of things. That, people in the church are coming up to me, Brad, that's so cool about your call. <laughs> yeah, that's pretty cool, huh? Brad, t- Brad, tell me about your call. Oh, dude, I just don't have time. And uh, I didn't know what the heck they were talking about, because Vaughn never talked about a call. It's a command. That's all I heard was a, was a command, but what's this call thing? So I went to some of the guys that were older than me, and uh, they explained to me what the call was. And I know you guys know what the call is. Uh, for the couple who are uninformed, the call is typically when Jesus or an angel come into your bedroom and they shake the bed <laughs> and they say, I want you in Mozambique, sucker. Okay. <laughs> now you know he's been called. Okay, dude, and do not go without that word from Jesus or an angel. I hadn't had any of that, no hair on the back of my head. The more mundane, the more typical call really is you're walking down the street and you see Tajikistan, spelled correctly in the clouds, okay? Something like that, you know you've been called. So those are the versions of the call. I hadn't had anything like that, nothing mystical. I've got, we called him the youth pastor from hell, okay? I've got this youth pastor from hell who slammed me to the mat and I tapped out and that's the only reason I'm doing this thing. So I'm praying with these other guys that are gonna be going off into career missions and there was this one uh, girl, her name was Rosie. And Rosie terrified me. And uh, she was the only girl that was heading off, Rosie and Terry Ann. But Rosie, uh, every time we prayed, which was once every couple, um, twice a month, uh, Rosie would preface our time of prayer with, oh, I was praying for the people of Bangladesh. And I just ended up praying all the way through the night. What? Oh, man, I was thinking of the people in China. I just cried for two hours straight. Dude, what's wrong with me? My dad had told me as a boy, son, you're German, so you don't have the full range of emotions. You just got to get used to it. (laughs) But man, my heart is not breaking for the loss. That's for sure. And I definitely ain't shedding any tears over. You can show me pictures of starving kids all you want. No, sorry. You you got problems? I got problems. That's just... (laughs) Third thing, man, I was was realizing missionaries need to learn lots of languages. (laughs) Hey, San Diego, fifth, sixth, seventh, and eighth. Spanish, okay? Then two years if you're going to go to college, of course, everyone's going to go to college. I had six years of Spanish. The extent of my Spanish, donde esta el baño, which is really helpful, but is not comprehensive. And uh, so I've got this bad taste in my mouth about the whole language aspect of missions. And so I made a decision. I'm going to go talk to Vaughn. So I asked the older guys, how do you get a one-on-one time with Vaughn? I'll just laugh. You're kidding? Nobody talks to Vaughn. Vaughn was like the guy behind the screen in The Wizard of Oz. Okay, just throwing levers. Whoa, great and powerful Vaughn. Well, I'm going to do it. And so I stalked him for a couple of weeks, and I figured out his goings and comings. And Sunday mornings, it turns out, to get to, from his office to the church sanctuary, not a 90-second walk, okay, from there to there. And so I stalked. I was standing right outside his door when he comes out. And he uh, came out, hey, Vaughn, I'm Brad, uh, one of the guys going off in the mission. He doesn't even stop, doesn't even look at me. We're just walking, I'm talking, he's, we're walking, and explain the whole thing. Vaughn, I haven't had a call. Man, I'm really bad with languages. I'm not burdened for the lost. You know, no, 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 that's not me. And uh, we're getting really close to the sanctuary, and, and so I, I got to pop the question. I said, Vaughn, what do you think? Do you think I ought to be doing this? 
he stops. That was scary enough. He stopped walking and he looks at me with that condescending look that only your father can legally give to you. The look that says, do you have any brain cells left in that vacant head of yours? And he points to the Bible in my hand. He says, based on everything Jesus has said, you get on that train. God is big enough to shut you down. He will shut you down if he wants to shut you down. But until he shuts you down, you get moving. I knew he was going to say something like that. <laughs> a couple weeks later, got on the train, went back, uh, Bible school, uh, standing there after the first year. Second year, uh, my wife comes walking through the door, and my roommate's standing next to me. He's from back east, Boston. And uh, <laughs> anyway, I saw her first. I said, dude, check it out. He goes right down, doesn't even reply, goes right down, starts talking to my wife. They're a couple for a few weeks, and then uh, I could tell it wasn't going too well. Finally, after three months, she broke up with him. Half hour later, I was asking her out. <laughs> a couple days after that, we got married. A couple days after that, we had our first kid, just for the sake of the clock. Uh, a couple days after that, we had our second kid. It's 1979, I'm terrified, just terrified. We're at the airport. We got two little kids. She's 22, I'm 23. We got one-way tickets going to Papua New Guinea. And uh, man, it's gonna be five years. And uh, man, I, I am terrified. I can't speak or else my voice will go full falsetto. We get on the plane and uh, she's taking care of the babies, you know, and the kids and all that stuff. And I'm just looking ahead. I'm a dead man going to my death. And the uh, plane takes off. I, I'm still not talking. Just this knot in my stomach. About two hours into the thing, our oldest son, Brooks, spawn of Satan that he is, uh, <laughs> does the full Chucky head spin, okay? Arms don't even move, just head spin. Looks at dad, says, dad, I want to go back to grandma's house. <laughs> that's great, son, why don't you just take the knife that's on the platter there and stab it into my belly, carve out all my organs and spew them out on the ground. You're not going back to grandma's house ever, now shut up. That's what I wanted to say. You can't do that, you can't do that. You're not a good parent if you do that. And so I lied, okay, uh, son, why don't you go to sleep and maybe when you wake up, uh, you'll be closer to grandma. What are you gonna say? Four years of training. They hadn't trained us for that one there. We, obviously, we got to New Guinea and uh, you guys saw the video. I'm not gonna go down that road again. Why though? Biblically, why? That's my story, but biblically, why? What was Vaughn teaching us? So I hope you have your Bibles. Uh, I don't have any new verses, but I think the impact of these verses read together must speak to you. And I know I'm talking to a mixed multitude. Some of you guys have aged out. I get it. Your job, who cannot go to where the 3,100 language groups are, your job is to work till you drop. You never, never retire. You pray for your grandkids. You pray for your kids. My wife, I would find out after we got married, my wife's parents raised her as an offering to the Lord, teaching her, you're expendable for your king. You're expendable. Are you raising your kids in that way? You're expendable. Matthew chapter 26, the night before our Savior was crucified. Verse 30, it says this. When they had sung, sung a hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives. Then Jesus told them, this very night you will all fall away on account of me. For it is written, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep of the flock will be scattered. But after I have risen, I will go ahead of you into Galilee. Hmm. Why is Jesus giving them a tip-off about going into Galilee? He says, I'll, I'll, I'm going to be going there. And later on, he'll tell him, you go there too. We, following the, uh, the events of the crucifixion and resurrection, in chapter 28, turn there please. The two women are going to go to the tomb to see what's going to happen. 
verse 5 says, The angel said to the women, Do not be afraid, for I know that you are looking for Jesus who was crucified. He is not here. He is risen, just as he said. Come and see the place where he lay. Then go quickly and tell his disciples he has risen from the dead and is going ahead of you into Galilee. There you will see him. Now I have told you. Second reference to Galilee. Hmm, what's going to happen in Galilee? So we keep going here. Verse 8, so the women hurried away from the tomb, afraid yet filled with joy, and ran to tell his disciples. Suddenly Jesus met them. Greetings, he said. They came to him, clasped his feet, and worshipped him. Then Jesus said to them, do not be afraid. Go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee. There they will see me. This is the most foretold meeting in scripture. The world is going to change because of what he says to them in Galilee. They have no idea what he's going to say. But the world's going to change. Your world's going to change. My world's going to change. This nation of Israel that had been rooted in the promised land would no longer be rooted in the promised land. We don't have the right to have roots. Jesus is going to introduce that concept. So they get to Galilee, verse 16. Then the 11 disciples went to Galilee to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. Just interesting backdrop. Uh, Obviously, there's a lot of communication happening that we're not privy to. So Jesus had been very specific about which mountain to go to. They go to that specific mountain. And I love that Matthew included this in. And when they saw him, they worshipped him. But some doubted. (laughs) Some doubted. What was there to doubt? They didn't beat his face off. It was still Jesus. Same height. Same basic you know, body structure. He was recognizable. They doubted. And this is a few weeks after the resurrection. We don't know exactly how long it was for him to move from Jerusalem up to Galilee. No one tells us that. But he was the same Jesus. But they doubted. Some doubted. I've been stunned at the amount of times. And I've been talking about missions for a long time now. And uh, the amount of people that have told me, if I only knew, I would go. If I only knew. Bullcrap. That's the testimony of scripture. Moses gets to the top of Mount Sinai. And what happens? He sees that bush burning. And it's burning and burning and burning. And, burning. and then a voice comes out of the bush. Moses, take off your shoes because you're standing on holy ground. Does Moses say, is that really you? Is that really you, God? I don't know. He knows it's God. He takes off his shoes. And eventually God says to him, go back to Egypt and get my people out. What's he do? He starts playing 20 questions with God. I don't know your name. My tongue doesn't work real good. Blah, 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 blah. He knows it's God talking to him. Finally, he has to, again, slam Moses to the ground. He taps out and he goes back. Same thing with Jonah. Jonah, I want you to go over there to Nineveh. I want you to talk to those guys. Cause them to repent. Tell them what judgment's coming. 108, he knows it's God. I'm talking to you, you young guys in here, especially. Jonah knew it was God, and he, went, he goes down to the boat, and then he starts making excuses, and I've, uh, I've heard them all, heard them all. Well, if God provides the money, then I'll do this. Well, just think of this, man. Jonah, Shazam, he had enough money to buy a ticket on that boat. Man, God provided the money for him to be disobedient. Isn't that interesting? And then God gave him a peace about, uh, I've got, but I've got a real peace about what I'm doing. In the midst of the storm, Jonah goes down inside the boat. He, fall, he alone falls asleep. He's got a piece about living in his sin. You know, when, I'm the, when I was a 
pastor at my church, I had two men come into me and tell me that God had given them a peace about divorcing their wives. You can talk yourself into anything, folks. In the face of clear scripture, you can, we can talk ourselves into anything. We really can. Some doubted. Man, we're incurable skeptics. We really are. We, we, we love our lives. Verse 18. Then Jesus came to them and said, all authority in heaven on earth has been given to me. Think of that. I know we've read that verse, and in this church especially, I'm sure you've heard it so many times, that it can become like white noise. All authority in heaven on earth has been given. I don't know if you noticed in the, in the video last week, but the, 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 the noise of the cicada, the noise of the jungle, it's always there. I don't know about, I can't speak for Indonesia, but I know when the earthquakes hit in New Guinea, the only way you could tell, and it was scary, what would happen is the rolling silence would come at you, the bugs stopped doing their thing, and you knew a big shaker was coming. Didn't bother us because we had a, <laughs> our, our house just go like that. It was a wreck anyway. But the rolling... The white noise that all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Do you know what Jesus is doing there? He's, the tone of his voice is changing. I had the privilege of doing the translation of the Teddy language. He is no longer the Jesus walking the dusty roads. He is the risen Lord Jesus Christ. All authority in heaven and earth. Any realm you conceive of. The tone of his voice is in essence saying, Peter, James, John, sit down and shut up. I'm giving orders. This is not a dialogue. This is not a discussion. I'm not interested in your thoughts. I have earned the right to give orders. And all you need to do is salute and obey. There's nothing else to be done. All authority and heaven and earth has been given to me. And because that is the case, go and make disciples of all nations. First time that's ever been said. No priest, no rabbi, no, no one in spiritual authority throughout the years of Israel's history has ever said anything like this. He is turning about 1,800 years of Jewish Israelite history on his head. Before that, stay in the land. Stay in the land. Man, you can read the last few chapters. Deuteronomy. Stay in the land. If you stay in the land, man, your, your sheep have lots of sheep. Your oxen will have lots of oxen. Your wives have lots of kids. Your barns will have lots of baby barns. All that stuff. Just stay in the land. And he's turning 1,800 years of history on its head. We no longer have the right to have roots. You're pilgrims, sojourners, strangers. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations. I don't need to talk about nations. I'm sure Steve has already talked about nations. He's not talking about go to New Guinea, go to Indonesia, go to Botswana. He's talking about go to ethnically, linguistically differentiated peoples. This is his last command to you and I, his people. Never been said before. Who's the brother playing the piano? TJ. TJ. It'd be like TJ uh, coming up here next Sunday and saying, you know what, we're going to do something different here today. We're going to worship God naked. So everybody stand up and get in your birthday clothes, okay? And the guys in the back, okay, TJ says to do it, let's go. But you know, most of you guys are saying, what? What? That's exactly the response of the disciples. Go to the nations? Go to the dogs, the uncircumcised? There are sects of Jewish scholars, rabbis, that wondered if Gentiles, you and I, even had a soul. Did we warrant hell? We surely didn't warrant heaven. That was an ongoing discussion. Jesus skates right out of that, right over it. Not only do they have a soul and warrant heaven or hell, I want you to leave Israel and you go to them. Very direct. You know, uh, Jesus, when he uh, spoke on earth, he used parable, metaphor, hyperbole, allegory. But when it comes to the Great Commission, doesn't use any of that. He speaks in the clear. It's real easy to translate. It's real easy to understand. It's terrifying to live out. 
You know, the school we run down in Tijuana, uh, we have 50 to 60 students every year that come down to get trained to go to those 3,100 language groups. Uh, it's really fun when after uh, about a week or two, all the students can admit, it quietly comes out one at a time, <clears throat> I don't want to be in this school, and I'm scared to death. I love that, the honesty. Forget about the call, forget about this, forget about, oh, I have a burden for the lost, I'm terrified. But I'm hemmed in because of what Jesus said. I can do no other because I can read my Bible and it makes sense. And I don't have a good enough reason except I don't want to do it. And folks, I'm talking to you guys who are holding on to that reason. I don't want to do it. I'm afraid to do it. I've got a wife. I've got kids. We've got wives and kids down there every single year. We've got people in their late and mid-30s. And they're in the middle of life. And they're walking away from fantastic jobs. We had the number six guy in Exxon Oil walk away from his seven-figure career with his wife and kids because of what Jesus said. He couldn't get around it. And he was healthy enough to do it. Pretty bright guy. Not a suggestion, a command. Mark 6. Mark 16, please, if you turn over there. <clears throat> and Now, this is important, too, to make note of. In Matthew, and Mark's version of what Matthew is saying, this takes place on the mountainside in Galilee. Okay, so make note of that. Mountainside in Galilee, those are his last words. Mark 16, 15, he said to them, go into all the world and preach the good news to all creation. I remember uh, when I was teaching at the Master's College, some of the guys, well, it's not, in the, it's not in the command tense. The whole thing isn't. The whole thing's a command. There's nothing negotiable about this. And Mark happens to be in the command tense if you're concerned about that. Luke chapter 24. <clears throat> Luke chapter tw- And by the way, if this is upsetting, hey, get upset, my youth pastor. I'm plagiarizing everything I'm saying. I'm just, I'm just telling you <laughs> almost verbatim the things that Vaughn was teaching us. In Luke chapter 24, the setting here is inside Jerusalem. Okay, this is uh, important to make note of. Uh, I have to read the whole chapter to, get, to figure that out, but that is the case. It's inside Jerusalem. It says this in verse 45. Then they opened their minds. Then he opened their minds so they could understand the scriptures. So Jesus comes in among them, and he opens up their minds. Can you imagine that? From Genesis to Malachi, he gets to pick out any topic that he wants to focus on. Look at what he focuses on when he gets the pulpit. First thing, he told them, this is what is written. The Christ will suffer and rise from the dead on the third day. Number one theme of scripture is not missions. It's the gospel. Praise God. Our father looked down from heaven. He saw that we had a need for a savior and he sent his son. The gospel, that's the number one theme of scripture that Jesus is pulling out of all those Old Testament passages. Verse 47, and repentance and forgiveness of sins will be preached in his name to all nations, beginning at Jerusalem. And it did begin at Jerusalem. And as it has not gotten to all nations. It's not there yet. <clears throat> it's just a fact. You guys saw the video last week. A um, couple, few months after we moved in, we helicoptered in because we didn't have an airship. Had to build that. But uh, our second son, Brandon, came down with malaria. We didn't know that. Uh, it was the first case of malaria anybody in our family had had. And so uh, after we figured that out, you know, it was kind of disappointing. We thought, maybe we don't have malaria in this part of New Guinea, which was crazy. And so Beth, uh, she crushed up some Camacum pills and shoved them down his throat. And uh, he had a fever about 101 at that point. And uh, he, he threw him up about a half hour later. So we had to pull up a shot of chloroquine and gave that in his little butt. And I uh, figured, well, hey, that'll, that'll kill it. I mean, that, that's going to bring the infection, the, you know, fever down. Kept going up. This is like on a Tuesday. And uh, kept going up, 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 
103 by that evening. Next morning, we're, we're figuring, man, during the night, it's going to break. Fever's going to break. Uh, next morning, man, 104 fever. Man, drew up another shot of, of chloroquine. That's powerful stuff. And, uh, man, we're just waiting and waiting, man. He's got diarrhea, and he's throwing up, and, man, he's just a little guy. And uh, 12 o'clock-ish that on Wednesday afternoon, his eyes started to roll. And we realized, man, we're losing our son. And uh, we called out <coughs> uh, for the nearest missionary. His name was Tom. Tom, can you come get us? We all knew that he couldn't get there that day. He'd, he'd leave early the next morning and get to us, you know, probably about 6 o'clock in the morning. It was a long journey to get us by boat. So we just prayed, prayed as Brandon hung on by a thread. And uh, <coughs> finally uh, walked down the uh, ladder of our house through the trail to get to the village, to get to the uh, trail that would take us down. And uh, when we got there, there were about eight Eteddy men standing there. Uh, and uh, this is like 5.35 in the morning. And I've got Brandon against my chest, and somebody else is carrying Brooks. And uh, I couldn't speak their language, and so this is all through one interpreter. And uh, he said, they want to know, what, what are you doing? And I turned my son's head around. And it, like that. I said, he's, he's nearly dead. We're going to try to get him some help. And went to the interpreter, went to the guys that were standing there. And you know what they did? Started laughing. <laughs> talking in that crazy ooga booga land talk that I couldn't understand. <laughs> I was furious. Furious. What were they saying? I'm asking them, what are they saying? What are they saying? What are they saying? What are they saying? Finally, I badgered him enough to where he told me what they were saying. What they were saying was, he's dead already. Go back to your house. He'll die completely this afternoon. You can bury him here. You'll have more kids. Grow up. Folks, they're little guys. <laughs> I want to reach out and start pulling throats out of their bodies. I want to watch blood pump out of them. I want to watch them die like fish on the deck of a boat. I hated those people. Why do I even tell you that story? All I could do is turn my son's head back to me and we just walked, just started walking. The only reason I tell you that, folks, this is important. We don't go to them because they're so sad. Their souls are more worthy than a soul in St. Paul. They're so, they're so, they're so. They're part of the equation, but they're not the supreme issue in this equation. The other non-supreme issue is you. I want to. I don't want to. I feel cut out. I feel called. I don't feel called. I don't want. You're not the issue. The supreme issue that will be for you, just as real as you're sitting there, more real, is your Savior commanded. That trumps everything. It trumps them. It trumps you. And someday the one who hung on that cross that we sang beautifully about this morning, he's going to ask you, you had my Bible, you knew what I wanted, and you did what with your life? Based on what? Because you wanted to? Because somebody told you you were gifted? I had lots of guys telling me, Brad, you ought to serve for Jesus. You're gifted. Oh, I loved that plan. Now it's going to air Jesus on the back of my surfboard when I won a contest, give him all. Oh, man, we can twist it up and make it sound sanctified. In the very opposition to the clear words of our Savior. What are you doing with your lives and why? <clears throat> this is a room in Jerusalem. John 21, as the Father hath sent me, so send I you. We don't have time. Acts 1, Acts 1, let's go over there. And we'll see the very, very last words. So Jesus, he exited that room in Jerusalem, he goes out now to the third location, the Mount of Olives, outside of Jerusalem. We don't have time to explain that, but you can read the larger context. And it says this conversation happened here. 
Acts chapter 1, verse 6. So when they met together, Jesus and his disciples, they asked him, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? It was a totally valid question based on Old Testament prophecies, major minor prophets, now following the coming of the Messiah. Everything that they knew was Israel's going to be restored to national greatness. Super valid question. Nothing wrong with their question. It wasn't sinful. Most of what we're doing in the church is not sinful. It's good stuff. But it's distracting to the thing that God left his church behind to accomplish. They wanted to have a Bible study on end times. They wanted to have a Wednesday night study for a few weeks on eschatology. Nothing wrong with that. That's encouraging. But Jesus knew, hey, you know what, John? You're going to write a lot of things on end times. There's this guy walking around now. His name is Saul. He'll turn into Paul. He'll write some stuff. You'll get that. He knows that he's only got time to put one more thing ringing in their ears. And he's not going to talk about end times. He's not going to talk about parenting. He's not going to talk about how to be a good employer. He's not going to talk about my responsibility, civil and religious. He's a thousand good and worthy topics will not be superseded by this one topic that he wants to be ringing in their ears. And so he replies to their question like this. He said in verse 7, it's not, it's not for you to know the times or dates the Father has set by his own authority. You don't need to know that. There's so much that we can get lost in. It's good stuff. And he goes on, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. After he said this, he was taken up before their very eyes and a cloud hid him from their sight. Do you know what that is? Luke's a great narrator. That's a massive exclamation point. Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the ends of the earth. Praise God, there are churches in Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria. My sister's worked over there for years. You don't live in Jerusalem. You don't live in Judea. You don't live in Samaria. You live in Minnesota. Well, we got to reach our Jerusalem. It's reached. There are churches. This is awesome to see this one here. I know there's great churches. Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, real locations, really reached. One part of that fourfold command, the ends of the earth. 3,100 languages on this planet, and they can hike around the planet and no one can share the gospel with them because nobody who knows the Lord Jesus knows those languages. That's the Great Commission, and it is accomplishable. It really is, if we will focus on that. Not to the exclusion of other things, but folks, I am in, you know the majority of churches I'm in, they have a great missions budget, Nothing going toward completion of the Great Commission. Those languages that have nothing of the gospel. I know, I can say stuff, and I'm going to be running out of here in a few minutes. <laughs> but folks, I'm your brother in the Lord. I wish I knew you well enough to love you. I care about you, though, and I care about that day you'll see your Savior. I challenge you, go back and reread these passages. Why are you doing what you're doing? in light of what Jesus has said. And Steve gave me carte blanche the other day. Challenge our young people. To me, young is anybody under 39 years old. You're young enough and healthy enough to go to the tip of the spear. And if you're over that line, raise your kids to be expendable. Raise your kids for his cause, not your cause. I won't even get into the amount of time, years our grandkids were away from us and our children in the boarding school. Heaven is real, folks. And we'll get to make up for all the things, all the relationships. That's where a little house on the prairie happens. That's where we get our reward. That's where we retire. That's where we rest. Not now. We work till we drop because our Savior gave us a reason to live for. And that is to make him known among all the nations. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for this church.
What a joy to be here. Lord, I pray that your spirit would take your word and drive it home in a way that no man can. Lord, give us no rest from your purposes. Help us to take our eyes off of the things that we typically think about, long for, work for, plan for, retire for. Help us to lift up our eyes and see you and your worthiness and what you want to accomplish and find out where we fit into your plan, not fitting you into our plans. Use this church in a dynamic way here in this part of St. Paul. And Lord, use the individuals, especially I pray for young people, that you give them the courage to step out of the plan that they've worked so hard for and to embrace you and what you are all about. Bless these, my brothers and sisters, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.